Maya Schul Olmsted. Today's guest is an impact investor who employs a gender-empowered climate finance approach. Active in many organizations, she supports women entrepreneurs in a variety of ways beyond capital. Her efforts include support for Zebras Unite and Project Drawdown. She will share insights about her work and her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Maya, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's just wonderful to have a chance to connect again. It's great to be here. I'm excited and really looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I, you and I connected originally with uh, Zebras Unite, great organization. Uh, and uh, I invited you to join our little Impact Cherub Club where we do uh, impact investing in small dollar amounts with uh, through crowdfunding. And uh, you came and you've uh, immediately become just a, a wonderful active member of that group. Uh, we invited you to participate at Super Crowd 22. You came and participated in that. And it's just been wonderful at each step of the way to get to know you because among the things that just amaze me about you is your action orientation, right? Uh, when you have an opportunity to do something, you just do it. So I, I really admire you and I'm so grateful that you take the time to, to be with us on the show today. I want to talk to you today about a couple of things that that you and I have talked about just a little bit. I want to explore further, but, but, but part of what I think motivates you is uh, trying to be, uh, you know, uh, a, a, an impact investor focused on women. And so uh, part of what you do, I think it, you call it gender empowered climate finance. Let's talk a little bit about that. What do you, do and advocate doing in that space? Well, it's a huge space. So uh, more than we can talk about in this time frame. So the first thing that I want to say is that I'm by far and away, not the only woman on the planet who's working in this space. There are an extraordinary number of really bright, articulate, um, excited, enthusiastic women who are working on this in the global north and the global south. And uh, so I really want to lift them up. I really want to acknowledge the women who came before me who've been working in this space. And there will be many women after me who also are working in the space. So let's just make sure that we give credit where credit is due. And I'm very happy to provide you a list of links afterwards so that you can put these in the show notes. Um, so if there's any question from anybody, uh, they can always reach out to Zebras Unite or Coralis or um, any of the work that's being done by Optimi or um, Dark Matter Labs. There are a number of really fantastic organizations all around the world who are really involved in this space. Um, Project Drawdown is one of them. I uh, feel very strongly that we need to be looking at solutions from a space of hope. The solutions that we need are already here. And many of those solutions just need to be scaled and they need to be properly resourced. Some of that resource is financing. Some of that resource are the other forms of capital that we have. So you mentioned at the beginning of this show, I will show up if you invite me. 
I will. <laughs> if people invite yeah. me, I will show up. I always warn people in advance, don't invite me. <laughs> don't do this as a polite <laughs> thing because I'll yeah. actually show up. <laughs> Yeah. And the reason is because some of the capital that we have available to spend at a certain stage in our life, after we've raised children, after we've sort of entered that third stage of our life, that matriarchal or patriarchal stage, it has some negative connotations to it. But one of the advantages of being in that stage is you start to think like a grandparent and you start to think about the future that you can't even see, right? Best time to plant a tree was yesterday. Second best time is today. It's very easy for me now to imagine planting a tree. And I don't have to imagine planting a tree that is fully grown and wish for that fully grown tree that's already developed its roots. I'm very happy to be a part of planting saplings in a wide variety of places where the right tree is planted in the right soil with the right conditions and the right caretakers present to help it grow. And so I think that that might speak to how I feel about financing. And to be honest, I genuinely believe that if people were to look at the statistics, I always say that I'm a data-informed storyteller, you'll hear the stories but they are based in facts. The statistics bear out that when you invest in women, women immediately return the bulk of what has been invested in them as an individual in their education, in their business that they're starting up as a fledgling enterprise. They immediately turn around and share that with their families, with their extended communities, with their region. And those circles overlap each other so that you get a, an extraordinarily powerful synergistic effect. So when you think about investing, at least the way that I was always taught, is that you put a resource aside. In this case, it's money. And you let it grow. The greatest factor in growing that money is letting that money work. And it takes time for that money to work. In the age of computers, we have this idea that money should be instantaneously available to us. But that's not how I was raised. How The way that I was raised was you put it into a savings vehicle, and then you waited over a period of time. So for me now, what I think about in my investing thesis and in my strategy is I'm investing in the thing that I hope will come into bloom when my granddaughter needs that, whether she needs that solution, whether she needs that product, or whether she needs the return on that investment. That's my hope. And my granddaughter, by the way, just turned one. So <laughs> give folks a sense of scale. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I read a post this morning uh, from uh, a friend who has a very different uh, worldview than I do, um, and yet he he was posting about the need to invest in women, and he was making a, a quasi political point that investing in women isn't the right thing to do; it's the smart thing to do. 
that uh, it shouldn't be an agenda. It shouldn't be a, um, a political thing. It should just be the thing we do because it's smart. And He's right. Th- th- there's certain, I, th- I think there's some truth to that for sure, right? Investing in women is smart. But, but I also think it's the right thing to do because, in fact, there is plenty of evidence that people don't invest enough in women, right? That women get something like one or 2% of venture capital. They don't get their fair share of SBA loans. They don't get their fair share of angel investment. They don't really get their fair share of anything. Um, they, they start more businesses, not fewer than men, start more businesses and get much less of the venture capital. So it seems like uh, it's okay to think about this as an agenda as uh, the right thing to do, as well as the smart thing to do. Now, of course, that's a way too long introduction. The, the point of this is just to say, what do you think? Well, the truth is it doesn't really matter what I think because your friend is right. The data absolutely drives the story. Um, data shows that you have on average at least a 68% higher rate of return when you have a mixed leadership team. The data shows that more women are creating businesses than men right now. The data shows that 92% of women entrepreneurs are solopreneurs. If given the resources that they needed to be able to grow their businesses, we would be able to significantly increase the GDP in most countries. And that's not by extractive mechanisms. And I think that that's a really important point here. Many women are working on solutions that are localized, that are unique to their specific community or their specific environment. They're working in small scale businesses that are completely sustainable within the resources that are available to them in their localized community. But we have this idea, mostly I think as a result of social media and the mass distribution, the instantaneous virality of stories that we need VC funding. We actually don't need VC funding. The reason that companies were called unicorns is because they were rare and exceptional and often not seen. So this idea that the bulk of business owners feel that the only path to access capital, and again, I'm going to remind everyone that capital is not always financial capital. Sometimes it's social capital. Sometimes it's intellectual capital. Sometimes it's emotional capital. These are all forms of capital that we have available to share. And frankly, the largest scale of capital that we have to share is in our wallet every day. We have the option to purchase products and services from extraordinarily well-run businesses that happen to be owned by women or happen to be co-owned by mixed teams. But we've swallowed a toxic form of Kool-Aid that says these mega blockbusters are the only movie in town. And we all know from the explosion of streaming media, we all like to watch a lot of different things. And it's not always just the blockbuster films. 
So it's an important thing for us to be remembering that the stories are different. The real, honest, day-to-day stories are different and they have facts behind them and they have the data behind them. There is no need for you and I to sit here and swashbuckle back and forth with our data-driven statistics because they're already out there and everyone knows the the statistics. It's that folks need to start believing and folks need to start having hope. And there's not a lot of hope walking around these days. So if you wanna talk about really embracing the idea of women, and climate finance, what you have to do is take that step forward to believe. Yeah, that's a a vital step. Uh, And I think that is a a nice segue perhaps to another important topic I wanted to ask you about. This is closely related, but this idea of financial feminism. Uh, Tell us about what you what what does that phrase mean to you and how do we do it? How do we do it better? So I'm learning this myself because I didn't grow up this way, to be honest. Um, my story is that uh, when I went to apply to go to college, I still had to ask my father to co-sign on a savings account, a checking account, and a loan for college because it was against the law for me to be able to access the money that I had been earning since the age of 15 in order to be able to go to college myself. I couldn't take out a student loan. I couldn't access my own earnings. So these are really important things to understand that we are not that far from women who did not grow up learning how to manage money. Maybe they learned how to manage their household budget, but they didn't learn how to manage money in such a way that that money could then make money and that money could be invested in community so that the community could grow. They didn't learn how to take a risk. Their idea was, well, if I put the money into a savings account, I'm being responsible because I'm not spending it on something. Most of the lessons that I learned in the early years about money were all self-taught or taught by men. And frankly, most of them were taught by white men. So a lot of financial feminism now is about opening up your feelers and your awareness to the books that are being written, to the podcasts that are being produced, to the medium articles that are being written or Substack or wherever it is that you get your long form journalism. You're not going to find financial feminism in sound bites in Twitter. You might find something entertaining on TikTok. It'll be fun. And then you can bring a little bit more of the joy and the laughter and the conversation yeah. into the room in a way that's not threatening to anybody. But financial feminism is about giving yourself permission to put some of the old forms of learning that you got predominantly from a male point of view and opening up your worldview to include the views that come from women that are about women that are for women. So you don't need to be a woman to do that. You don't need to be a male identifying or a female identifying person. You don't need 
to be anything other than someone who is really curious and genuinely willing and eager to learn about what the experiences are like for women and women identifying people around the world. So in the indigenous community, they are called two-spirited people for a reason. I think we could all embrace a little bit more of the two-spiritedness in ourselves by understanding what the world is like from a his point of view, a her point of view, and a they point of view. So feminism has a dirty word because for many, many years, feminism had to be this very binary, harsh principle because it was coming up against a very binary, harsh principle. The right to vote, the right to own land, the right to access credit, the right to access our own money. But now what it's coming up against is a very old, tired story that really isn't even that interesting anymore. Now, financial feminism is about embracing nurturing, about embracing growth, about embracing community. It's things that women traditionally in many of our cultures have been the caretakers of. And as a matriarch myself, these are the things that I'm learning and unlearning. And as I'm learning and unlearning, I'm reinventing for myself a new vocabulary. I think that the language that is involved in traditional finance is very challenging. It is almost a whole entire set of vocabulary that might as well be in, in a completely different letter set because it's that challenging for a lot of people. Math is the kind of thing that many people received negative feedback as they were growing up. And that's a challenge. So we've got two spaces here where we can remind people that math can be a game. It can be fun. It can be interesting. If you're too scared to try it out, play one of the games, play the Wall Street Market game, play an, an in visible game on your own computer that allows you to try ideas out. You don't have to try those ideas out with large sums of money. And then when you feel that you've grown some confidence and you feel like you understand the principles on it a little bit more, start to really talk to people and say, hey, this is what I think I understand. This is what I thought I heard. This is where I got that information from. Is, do you think that's a reliable source or do you, is there more? Approach it from an attitude of curiosity. And when you approach it from an attitude of curiosity, that opens you up to entire new worlds in which you can explore how do I use money as only one tool in my toolbox for making the world a better place? And I think for me, that's what financial feminism is about. It's about not being afraid to take on the challenge by myself. It's about not being afraid to take on the challenge of understanding something new in community with others. It's really hard when you feel like you look stupid, right? But we all look stupid at something. So <laughs> I feel like this is a pretty fair game <laughs> for all yeah. of us just to go, really? 
especially because it's changing so fast. If you think about so many new forms of currency and non-currency, digital, non-digital, I think all of us are a little bit stupid in some area. And so that creates a really exciting space for us all to just share knowledge and compare knowledge. And the more that you sort of crowdsource your knowledge, the more that you uh, take advantage of swarm thinking that is positive, that is curious, that is open, that is interested in building, not excluding, the better your results will be. So I think that financial feminism includes things like angel networks that are very focused on investing in women. It's very focused around um, networks that are teaching people how to be better investors that are absolutely making sure that in those rooms, they have the ideas and the lived experiences and the contributions of women because women know what they're talking about in the same way that men know what they're talking about. And I think that that's what financial feminism is about. Maya, you've done and do so much good in the world. Uh, what is your superpower? Well, I could be really honest. Um, my superpower is that usually I stay behind the camera, not in front of the camera. I genuinely think my superpower is humility and patience. I, I have only recently understood that I need to talk about that, that I need to say it's really important that we are humble, but that we don't play small. I was raised that to be a good girl, you smiled, you did what your elders told you to do, and you played nice. That's what being a good girl was all about. But I don't want to be a good girl anymore. I'm going to be a great grandma. Well, I don't know about your grandma. My grandma had opinions. She had feelings and she expressed them on a regular basis. So <laughs> I think that my superpower now is that I've lived a life trying to uplift other people. My children, my business colleagues, the people in my community. And so now I'm standing in a place where I can honestly say, hey, oh my gosh, if you like this, talk to this person. Oh my gosh, if you like that, you should talk to this person. If you enjoy reading this, well, you should go here because I've done a lot of that stuff, right? I have traveled around the world and I have read a lot of books and I have watched a lot of movies and had a lot of conversations with people in 57 different countries, sat down, drank coffee, drank tea, worked in the garden, rescued sea turtles, like we could go across the spectrum, right? Because I am a person who genuinely, genuinely likes other people. And I really want to know who they are. And that comes from a place of, tell me about yourself. Tell me about who you are. Tell me about what you're doing. And then my next question almost is, is almost always, what can I do next to help? Because that's how I was raised, right? You walk into a kitchen, somebody's doing the dishes, you pick up a towel right? You walk into a garden, you're trying to talk to somebody, they're digging, you just get down on your knees and you start digging with them. And I think that money, I think that writing, I think that speaking is something that I'm learning is the same thing. I just need to be part of that conversation and not let um, my introverted self 
be intimidated in that space. That's really hard, but that is my superpower. My superpower is um, telling stories that are driven by experience and by data, but are told in really interesting ways from a place of humility and a place of genuine sincerity in trying to help be part of the solution. And yes, I will stuff it up lots and lots and lots of times, but that's, that's really genuinely who I am, I guess. Yeah. No, I don't guess. I know. I know. I know yeah. at this stage that's who I am. I, I, it's a fascinating uh, superpower that you've got. And I wonder if you can think of a specific time when your humility and your storytelling ability and your desire to help that that you describe as your superpower is that when that worked, right? Can you think of a specific time where you say, oh yeah, I leaned into this superpower on this project or this thing and it, it, it worked, it was successful, I'm proud of the outcome. Can you think of a time? Sure. Um, my partner and I started a business in a long time ago, in the early 90s. We started that business on two paper napkins, drawing it out, the barbecue table with another couple. Between the two couples, we had a blended family and they had four kids. So between us, we had 10 kids that were running around this barbecue table, right? <laughs> no internet. No, they're just really. Uh, in the first offices, those napkins got put into a frame. <laughs> And then over time, that business was built up and, and um, we exited from that business and did we made enough money in the exit of that business that our kids, all of our kids, all 10 of kid, the kids were able to go to college without any student loans. And in this world, that's a huge accomplishment. And I'm really, really proud of that. So I could have taken that experience and I could have just sat on it. Or I could have lauded it in front of a lot of people. I could have gone on tour and talked about my success as a woman entrepreneur and all of these things. But instead, I went diving. And I learned how to scoop dive just shy of turning 50. And I fell in love with it. I had always been an environmental volunteer. I would always taught. Uh, now they say, uh, you know, on the side of the desk. <laughs> But basically, I had taught after school and uh, on weekends and in summers. I had always done a business education partnership and, and a lot of experiential teaching, taking kids around the world to get their hands on the dirt. Uh, so I had always been a huge ocean advocate. Um, but I that experience of going to 18 meters and looking at the turtles that I had only worked with on the beach in, as part of preservation projects and looking at them face to face was a transformative experience. I came up out of the water, like the way many new divers do, like, you know, and I, I said, I, I'm, I'm going to take the teaching experience that I have, the business experience that I have, the life lived experience that I have, and I'm going to learn to teach diving. I'm going to be a part of this effort to preserve the coral reef. Well, I approached that project with humility. I did not talk about my previous business experience. I did not talk about anything other than everything that I loved about diving. 
And over 5,700 hours later, I'm now the second highest level of instructor that is possible for the, for the Professional Association for Diet Instructors. I've been part of film crews, research crews, technical dieting crews, taught around the world, spent a huge amount of time um, as part of the contributing underwater cinematographers for projects like Chasing Coral, which is on Netflix right now, or submitted footage for David Attenborough documentaries, been a part of really, really interesting conversations about manta rays, about the preservation of specific coral species, about the preservation of sea turtles. All of that I was able to do because I did not brag or present myself as better than I always presented myself as, tell me about what you're doing. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. So now here I am, 10 years into this journey, I went back to school just over the age of 50, got my first college degree. I didn't walk around school talking about the this and the that and the who I was and where I'd been and all of these things. I said, oh, yes, I'm an underwater cinematographer. Yes, I've, I've had this experience. It's pretty cool, pretty fun. I was in a Bachelor of Fine Arts program. That was contextually appropriate. It wasn't until really the last two years I started to put it all together, put the puzzle pieces together for folks, for myself and for other folks, and say, hey, I know a lot of people around the world in a lot of different spaces, and I really think you'd like to know them too. And why don't we start connecting the dots so that we can really seriously start bringing the solutions that Project Drawdown has identified to life? Because we've got a lot of really smart people and a lot of solutions that are available here and now. And I know just enough to get myself into trouble. <laughs> so I know just enough to say, hey, go talk to this super smart person over here. Again, I'm not saying I know it all. But I'm definitely saying I know a little bit about a lot of different things. Because I try really hard in my life to stay curious and humble. And that helps yeah. me connect with other people. Yeah. And if you invite me, I come. <laughs> <laughs> Especially great. if there's good food involved. <laughs> yeah. As you think a little bit about, uh, you know, developing the superpower of yours, you know, centered on your humility, how would you coach someone to develop uh, and expand their humility? It's, it's, it's a bit challenging. It's How would you coach? How would you coach someone? I actually don't think I'm the best coach because I'm still learning it myself. I think I instinctively have it in my body, but I'm not sure that I'm comfortable enough yet coaching other people. But you know who's really good at this is Vicki Saunders from Coralus. Vicki Saunders understands the art of the ask and the offer. And I think part of humility is understanding how to ask when you need help and understanding how to ask when you don't know something, understanding how to ask when you're curious and you don't want to look dumb. But the second part of that is receiving. Vicki told me a great story one time where she said that she was in a room with a lot of folks and someone stood up and you could see how brave, how incredibly hard 
it had been for them to stand up and ask for help for something. You could see they were shaking when they sat back down and that they immediately looked down. But they, she said that a third of the room raised their hand, shot their hand up with an offer of help. And the person didn't see it. And she said, hey, hey, hey. Asking for help is only the first part of the journey. The second part of the journey is being humble enough to receive the help. And that's, I think that's the teaching part and the learning part. And I am still trying to learn it myself. I think we all are because I, I think it's really hard for us to ask for help. It's a level of vulnerability. And sometimes that vulnerability comes with a whole lot of emotions. So it can feel very raw and scary. But then yeah, you get yeah. all this, this bravery to ask. And you've almost spent every bit of your bravery to ask. But it takes almost as much, if not more, bravery to receive when other people want to help you. But it's a, it's a relational thing, right? It's, it's very reciprocal. If you ask for help, that gives someone else the opportunity to give. And we all love to give, right? We are a generous species on the planet. We like to give. So we have to also accept. And I think that's hard for us. And I think that's where yeah. that humility comes from, right? That is a powerful insight. Uh the humility required to receive help. Boy, uh, thank you for sharing that. Maya, before we wrap up, and I'm so grateful for your time and energy in this conversation, uh, tell people how they can learn more about you and your work and connect with you. And if there are other sites you think they should be visiting that are connected to your work, please share those social media handles, whatever you want to share. Well, most people can find me on LinkedIn. So that's the fastest way to reach out to me there. And through LinkedIn, you'll see the various different organizations that I'm involved in. So I really want to uplift um, Native Women Lead. I really want to uplift Raven Capital Partners. I really want to uplift Coralis, Dark Matter Labs, um, Optimi. Uh, I think that what Zebras is doing is extraordinary. But I think that many of the zebra partners within the ecosystem are all extraordinary. So I think that I am not necessarily the singular person. I think it's more that if you go check out my page and stalk my page, you will find lots of these other organizations with their links and you can go and check out those organizations. So I think that looking at everything from the Women's Equity Lab to the 51 Fund to Helm, I think crowdfunding, for an example, I think that the conference that you put together for SuperCrowd was extraordinary. And I know that the recordings are available and folks should absolutely 100% listen to those. I think the recordings that are available from Shoko recently just had the Audacious Angels Summit, and that was an extraordinary thing. And every time folks think, I don't have enough money to be an angel investor, remember that everybody has a little bit of angel inside them. And crowdfunding is a fantastic space for you to let that angel fly. Look, because many of those campaigns only need 50 to $100. And it can make a difference in your life. And it can make a difference in their life. So think kind of bringing that back around to all the great work you do in crowdfunding is a pretty good launching pad for both of us there. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Well, Maya, thank you for being with me today. I want to wish you every success in your work in uh, gender-empowered climate finance and financial feminism. Uh, lifting up women around the world uh, is, I think, smart and right. And I wish you every success in doing that. Great work. Thank you. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.